I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber... Look, I'm sorry, we have to talk about crypto again. Wait, don't leave. I know, I know, stick around. This story is really funny and weird, I promise. You heard about this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, and FTX? FTX was the second largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world, and Bankman-Fried was the guy who ran it. He was a young genius, people said. He practiced something called effective altruism, gave away money to people on the street. He was a League of Legends addict, and he was predicted to be the world's first trillionaire. That's all up in smoke. He's bankrupt now. FTX is in ruins. Large amounts of crypto seem to keep shifting around, and no one is quite sure where Bankman-Fried is. There were reports that he was in Argentina. He has denied that. He told Reuters that he was in the Bahamas. But who is this guy? Why did everyone think he was a genius? And how did FTX seemingly make billions of dollars in wealth overnight just evaporate? Well, here with me today to answer those questions is Edward Anguiso Jr. Sir, thank you so much for once again coming onto the show to talk about the disastrous sci-fi present that we all live in. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on to talk about this. It's always, it is fun. You know, there's a lot of schadenfreude, schadenfreude, however you say that word. There's a lot of it to go around. Uh, lately, which is always fun. Yeah, this guy in particular, it was funny because I didn't really know anything about him until because I think a lot of us have kind of turned our brains off to crypto in the past mm-hmm. six months. Yeah. Um, after those last couple big crashes and like NFTs finally stopped kind of panning out for people, our, our brain shut down. We didn't want to hear about it anymore. But this one was so big and the guy at the center of it is so funny. Um. Because people had built, spent so much time building him up. Um, is this crypto crash any different materially than any of the other ones? I th- I think that there is, I think that there's space to argue that it is, right? Um, you know, some of the people I've been reading about this, uh, specifically over at, at Bloomberg, Matt Levine and Joe Weisenthal, have, have made, I think, a good point an argument in saying, look, like, you know, what we're looking at with the balance sheets of this company that were just like, you know, lacking really real assets to trade and um, had massive holes and were probably tra- were trading, it seems like, on, you know, near insolvency, which is illegal, of course. I mean, so much of what was going on is illegal, but that doesn't stop them. Um, that there's not only going to be a crackdown that comes on. Uh, on FTX and the people associated with it, but also that there will be a liquidity crunch that will probably compromise a lot of projects, um, exchanges, protocols, and that there will likely be kind of, you know, that this might mark the beginning of the end of in, of consumer interest and institutional interest in crypto, right? Because you had someone who was interfacing with regulators, lobbying, uh, advocating, do all, doing all the things you're supposed to be doing, offering a pretty sophisticated, it seemed, product and exchange, and also engaged in a serious amount of fraud um, that uh, threatened the entire market, you know? Um, 
and 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 you know as more details emerge i think it's really each st- new detail is surprising more surprising than the last in that like you just don't i wouldn't have expected him to have been this stupid or this reckless or this fraudulent with a lot of people's money given how big he was right i expect a base level of it you know to get to that size but i think that also comes with maybe people um overestimating how or or anticipating or believing that you know people would wisen up and not not engage in this sort of you know shenanigans once they get to a certain size so yeah this was the guy that was supposed to make all of this legitimate right Right. this was the this was the guy that that was supposed to be the savior of crypto and was going to make it mainstream and was going to do it in a way that was going to be responsible. And then everything fell apart. So let's back way up if we can. What is FTX and what was what was Bankman Freed's pitch? And then how did it all fall apart? Yeah, I mean, so FTX was basically a crypto exchange where you would you know, the premise was you basically are able to take a dollar and do anything you want with it, you know, in a pitch to Sequoia Capital, which put $210 million, I believe, into his company. Uh, the pitch was, you know, I want you to be able to take your dollar and buy crypto, buy a banana, buy uh, onion futures contract, whatever it is that you want. Um, and on FTX, you can also buy more sophisticated or complex crypto related assets. You know, there, you can do some derivatives contracts. You can do some weird bets and gambling um, if you don't want to be directly exposed to crypto. So the idea was it's supposed to be a platform for traders, for people who really want to trade crypto and want to speculate on it and want to make money on it and want to do all sorts of trades that might not be possible in other markets because they're not as willing to offer them, offer you know one contract or another or one asset or another. And so, you know, for this, he grew. Um, It was the third largest exchange until sometime this year when it surpassed Coinbase and became the second largest exchange. Um, It allowed people to deposit funds. It offered its own native token. Um, It offered credit facilities, loans uh, effectively to other crypto exchanges, platforms, um, protocols. I mean, all of this made it seem like this was a pillar of the ecosystem in the industry that it would be here to stay that it would be spearheading efforts to uh, introduce regulations um, because it had good relationships with people at the cftc and the sec because it just hired a former ftc commissioner and chair um but i think all of this collapsed really because you know there was a there was a good investigation by the financial times that came out like a, a little bit after my piece had come out that talked about how they got the balance sheet. And this is a company where I think $12 billion of customer, you know, $13 billion of customer deposits were supposed to be. And they had loaned out most of that, you know, billions of it to Omida Research, which was another, which was a hedge fund that was run by a co-founder, former partner of uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. Um, they were loaning that money to Almeida so they could bankroll really risky, high risk, high reward plays and on crypto assets um, and had lost billions of dollars um, and weren't able to give the customers back their money. And this was complicated also further by the fact that they had let customers borrow 
um, assets and, 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 you know, things that they might otherwise be able to offer to other people. Uh, they let them borrow them and post up uh, FTX's own native token as collateral. So the native token was held by these people. They artificially pumped up the value. They said that it was, you know, backed by all of these assets effectively. Um, but in reality, there was nothing behind it. And when Binance's head, um, uh, CZ, uh, Chengpen Zhao, uh, found out, or, uh, you know, he basically dumped it or tried to dump it. And then they said, oh, we don't actually have enough, you know, liquidity to uh, allow you to cash out, which caused a bank run, you know, where people were basically trying to withdraw out of the platform, uh, trying to dump their own um, positions in the in the native token um, and collapse the value of it and then force the company effectively to freeze withdrawals, try to lie, you know, and say that, they weren't intentionally trading customer assets, but that they were um, mislabeling them accidentally. And then learn, as you know, as we did in later reporting, that he had in, he had created backdoors to siphon money, the customer assets, intentionally to Almeida Research, so that he could fund the trades without setting off red alarms, uh, red flags, and alarm bells. Right. So this is someone who. You know, came into crypto, probably had a grand idea of creating like a platform, got caught up in really risky trades because, as they've said before, they have a very, very low um, risk aversion. I think that's the right way to phrase it in that like they, they had a high tolerance for risk um, and were engaged in all these plays, as was Caroline, uh, their, their former partner and the head of Almeida Research. Uh, they were engaged in these plays that basically lost a lot of the money. They didn't have enough money. They called around for loans. Word got out. People dumped or tried to dump FTFF, which is um, the uh, the native token. Um, and it entered into a death spiral and eventually filed for bankruptcy. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, he didn't... He was just borrowing money and then shifting things around constantly as like the money slowly leaked out of the system or quickly leaked out of the system and kind of hiding it as he went. Yeah, you might say it had a triangle shape to it, you know, where um, (laughs) (laughs) where he's taking money out from one level uh, to provide liquidity for another level and convincing them to offer up or convincing another level to offer up liquidity that can then be provided to another level. And then siphoning chunks at each step into another company that also had a little bit of a triangle um, structure to it and its payments and its liquidity. Um, so I think this, you know, it, it's fun to look at because this is. I think that no one anticipated the level of it, right? No one anticipated that there was a $10 billion hole in the balance sheets. No one anticipated that there were likely, it seems that they might have made off with, you know, upwards of a billion, but that, you know, we're not sure about that because we're still looking at the books and they've just filed bankruptcy uh, proceedings and we just got the documents today. Um, there was also a hack that was supposed to have happened uh, at one point in the, in the night that uh, disappeared a few hundred million dollars and that they were confused about and told con- conflicting stories about, you it's know, so there's a lot of like really weird weird shifts of all this like ancient crypto, ancient Bitcoin things that haven't moved in, in, in a decade, like 
suddenly changing wallets, a lot of really bizarre stuff, right? Yeah, I think it's a coincidence when um, you tell people that you your exchange is fine, and then the next day you file for bankruptcy after freezing withdrawals, and then you get hacked maybe 24 hours later. Um, and people also don't know where you are in the world. And you are sending out cryptic tweets and deleting other tweets. And you are also giving nonsensical interviews to the New York Times and, and, and being, you know, obtuse in text messages with reporters. All of that is a coincidence. I don't, th- you know, that doesn't, that could be anything, you know, that doesn't mean he's stealing the money. And that doesn't mean there was fraud here, of course. I mean, things look weird, but we have to put the words alleged around a lot of this. You know, we we will learn. Sorry. Allegedly $10 billion like, you know, went into a hole and didn't come back out. And allegedly he got hacked um, around the same time that these revelations came out. And allegedly he's in the Bahamas, but also allegedly no one has seen him. (laughs) And, you know, there's a lot of weird things. I mean, here's one thing that I think was a fun little detail that also got lost. So there was, um, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, got, you know, his start as a trader, right? Um, and he talked about a really kind of smart way in which he made a lot of money, um, which was he noticed that in certain markets, Bitcoin traded at a premium. And you could take advantage of that if you convince someone in that country to open up an account for you to trade with. And then you paid them either a part of the uh, profit on the or on the spread or if you you paid them just like a flat fee, whatever it is, you pay someone to let you open up an account in their name and trade in it. And made millions of dollars doing that Um, this week. FTX said that Bahama regulators told them that while they had to freeze assets and withdrawals. For everyone, they were allowing people in the Bahamas to take out withdrawals. Um, that ended up most likely creating a black market where people would entice or in- encourage people in the Bahamas to try and open up an account for them so they could facilitate transfers and trades out and withdrawals out of the exchange. Right. The Bahamas, we should say, this is where FTX is incorporated, mm-hmm. correct? That's where the head is? Yeah. Yeah, FTX used to be in Hong Kong and then was moved to the Bahamas, which is also becoming an important point because regulators are looking at whether or not they even have the authority to go after FTX since it is based in the Bahamas. Um, You know, but also I think like the reasons why the Bahamas are attractive, you know, because of lax financial, you know, regulations, there are three laws and he broke all of them. You know, there are um, in in terms of what you're supposed to do with money and and securities fraud and trading. are also the the things that might end up tying the noose around him in the sense that uh, the the fraud feels a little bit more f- flagrant, and you know if authorities there decide to go after him, they have cause to do so. Um, but it but it's still also developing and turning out right. I'm, I have no idea what is going to happen in the short term. You know, part of me feels like he will be hit with uh, with the hammer by regulators, but also the other fact fact of the matter is. Like, you know, countless other platforms have gone bankrupt just this past few months, right? Block or have, um, you know, revealed that they were insolvent or frozen withdrawals and revealed that there was fraud going on. You know, we had Voyager, we had Three Arrows Capital, uh, 3AC, we had, um, you know, BlockFi, uh, we might have Crypto.com. You know, uh, all of these places have done fraud. We had Celsius. Um, 
And it, I'm, it's not even clear in those instances what's going to happen to those people and if they're ever going to be held accountable. Not to mention, you know, this sort of thing when it happens in the financial system, what usually happens is a settlement or a fine as a, and a ban from lifetime trading instead of, you know, uh, jail time or instead of like really punitive damages uh, well, to make it all. Let me just float this. Um, whose money did he lose? Everyone and, else. <laughs> and um are any of those people scary? Yeah, so I think that's a that's that's a good question. Um FTX was able to court more successfully than most uh celebrities, um you know, public figures, uh huge investors in, in uh venture capital firms, um Binance, another exchange. Um so I would say that a lot of the people who traded on it or there are a lot of people who traded on it and had millions of dollars locked up, tens of millions. Um, there are big question marks around some of the bigger investors like, you know, Tom Brady and his, and his uh, ex-wife who were, you know, front men and are rumored to have put in a significant amount of their life savings or net worth into the company. And now it's bankrupt and gone to zero. So I think that. You know, going also back to the Bahamas, like, you know, one of the reasons why the reasons why it's attractive is also probably the reason why it would be scary. Right. I mean, these places where people choose to set up because of lax financial regulations are also places where other people set up because of lax financial regulations. Right. Um, And if, you know, we have no idea about who else was invested in there yet, but I can imagine a scenario where it gets scary because. He lost money from people he shouldn't have lost money from. But for now, I think the the main fear is the government, right? The government is loudly proclaiming that, um, you know, it's going to investigate him. The DOJ, California, other states are investigating or looking into if they can investigate him. Um, that is where I think like the first wave of fear probably is. Well, yeah, he lost. It wasn't just like anonymous crypto whales this time. It was it was celebs, right? Yeah. You can't yeah. mess with the American celebs. Yeah, you can. I mean, you you can like regulators will rouse awake if you lose billions of dollars of consumer funds, right? Um, and then start you know going after small fry. But losing, like you said, public figures, burning uh, politicians who were involved with you or who you were fundraising for and doing dinners with, like with Kristen Gillibrand. Um, and then revealing yourself to be a giant fraud. I mean, like, I think that the, some of these things where people have egg on their face are going to motivate uh, retaliation and, and, and a crackdown or help motivate it in a way that we didn't see with other platforms also. And then your immediate response is to go onto Twitter and say, I'm sorry, that's the biggest thing. I <laughs> fucked up and should have done better. Like, buddy, yeah. maybe don't tweet. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I... He not only should he not be tweeting, he did like a really long interview with the New York Times. I think like like me personally, if I was his lawyer, you know, I would sock him for talking to the press like this. I I like he's been he's someone who's kind of shirked at PR, you know, from what I can tell, what I know, he's talked to and he's been talking to journalists and just reaching out to them over the past year. Right. This is also part of the reason why he was able to do the profiles. I think a lot of people, um, understandably so hesitant or reticent to reach out to media anticipating that it will be a crypto skeptical article and he was probably one of the only operators in this space who was savvy enough to bring people in and somehow woo them um 
uh, even though there's not much there to be impressed by, they were still impressed by. I mean, you had people saying that he lived like a monk, but he has like at least two penthouses, one in the Bahamas and one in upstate upstate uh, New York. You know, this is a man who has a private jet. This is a man who's a billionaire. He does not live like a monk, you know. Um, you had people who would listen to him kind of ramble about utilitarianism and say, wow, this is a philosopher king. You know, this is someone who's who's uh, who's thinking about things above our mortal coil. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there. Like there are failures to cover him and see him for what he was in the moment. And that comes from people who are not, you know, think who are maybe not critical enough about crypto, not critical enough about effective altruism in in the modern form, uh, modern day iteration. And also people who might be taken in by how quickly he got rich instead of asking you know, the flip side of that question is, why did you get so rich? You know, he, he became a billionaire in, in, in little the under 20 months. Right. Uh, that's interesting. Why did that happen? Um, uh, I think it was just, uh, you know, there are failures on there, but that's not to say that the media is responsible for like, you know, the, this thing falling apart. It fell apart because of him. Right. Yeah. He, ultimately, he's the he's responsible. All right. We're going to pause there for a break. Cyber listeners, we are talking about Sam Bankman Freed and the collapse of FTX. We will be back right after these messages from our sponsors. If you're watching the live stream on Twitch or YouTube, there are no ads. All right. So- when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Cyber listeners, welcome back. You were talk- uh, I am Matthew Galt. I'm talking to, with Edward Anguisu Jr. We're talking about Sam Bankman Freed and FTX. All right, I want to get a little bit more into kind of the mystique that was built around him. Because yeah. um, I think that's a huge part of the story and a huge part of kind of how he was able to build this thing. Because he okay. sold himself as much as he sold crypto, right? People called mm-hmm. him a savior and a genius. And some of the people that invested in him said that he was going to be the world's first trillionaire. Um, where did this guy come from and how did he get started? Yeah, he's this, you know, 30 year old wonder kid from um, MIT. Uh, parents are Stanford law professors. He got to start as a trader, Jane Street. Moved on to uh, working for a charity group, the Center for Effective Altruism. Left that and started working on FTX, right? Um, I think there are a few parts that are interesting and probably build the the mystique. Part of it is the effective altruism. Effective altruism in of itself is this philosophy that kind of asks, you know, um, 
you know, what is the way to make to make altruism more effective effectively? Like, how can we look at outcomes and maximize them? And so the early, you know, the first iteration comes from this philosopher, Peter Singer, and he talks about um, how, you know, one way to do this is by looking at charities and, and saying, OK, you know, I can either donate money to eye surgeries in a certain region or bed nets in another region. And, you know, which one is going to have a larger quality of life improvement and which one is going to be facilitated by an organization that has better operations. And then that's. And, and we should do, you know, calculations like this to try to quantify um, where the most impact can be had. And sometimes it gets a little silly where they invent this this unit that kind of was supposed to represent quality of life improvements as some sort of quantified measure metric. And you say, oh, well, you know, this one has five units and this one has 10 units. So I'll do the 10 unit one. Um, but that's basically the first wave of effective altruism. You know, donate more of your income, live a little bit less you know, frivolously, maybe like a, a Jesuit and spend that money where it would actually help, which is, you know, improving lives of people in the global South. Then comes the second wave of which um, Sam Bankman uh, freed is uh, a large funder of and a big advocate of himself, which is that what really matters is effectively uh, allocating resources to reduce the risk of humanity's extinction so that in the far flung future, as many as possible humans are alive, living unimaginably pleasurable lives in electronic nirvana or in post scarcity or whatever have you, right? The more people we can save today would help do that. But the best way to save people today is not through global health initiatives, global poverty relief, uh, undermining inequality, you know, fixing political and social problems in the immediate sense, addressing climate change, so on and so forth. The best way to do that is to ensure artificial intelligence um, doesn't uh, run amok. It's to figure out if we can stop an asteroid. It's to figure out if we can uh, if we're properly prepared for a pandemic, right? These are the things that yield the most returns. And so it ends up being a vehicle for, or has become a vehicle for Silicon Valley, you know, people to kind of rationalize today's inequalities, you know, and structural um, advantages that they enjoy um, and kick up, kick up the ladder, kick down the ladder, right? And say, well, you know, not like we're up here and we're just going to, you know, we happen to be in the best place possible to help steer things so that everyone in the far flown future is better off, which already conforms with the philosophy that they have. I think part of the mystique is people kind of reading the wrong or gleaning the wrong lessons or not asking the right questions about effective altruism because it may be, you know, hear a discussion about AGI and, and the risk of AGI or hearing a discussion about pandemics and thinking about, you know, how is this person you know, how does this person see the world? How does this person think about utility? How is this person um, rationalizing the money that they give or advice that they're giving to other people to go into certain fields to maximize the money that they can give? Um, instead of asking, you know, what's the underlying ideology at play there, which, you know, for long-termism, which is what this is called, it's, it's a sort of cynicism that makes sense when you look at someone like uh, Sam Bankman-Fried in crypto, right? That sort of cynicism allows you to rationalize saying, I'm involved in, you know, crypto, um, which hurts a lot of people, might scam a lot of people, might do some harm in the immediate sense, but will give me enough money to do more good in the long-term sense, right? And it's so it's okay to be a little unethical now because we're doing the real ethical thing, which is helping 
10 to the 73 trillion human beings live in Nirvana bliss on Jupiter's moon or something. Um, and uh, it's, then the, it's auctioning off the present to pay for a Star Trek future. That's probably not going to come. Right. You know, um, and, and it, it's utilitarianism in this, in this sense is like, it's a really mundane, I can't even remember the quote, but it's someone, you know, said something like the mundane quote, but it's, it's a mundane philosophy, but it's one where it's really, it's pretty easy to justify, you know, soaking hands in blood uh, as is the case with this. Right. Um, maybe not with crypto in the sense that people are not going, you're not going to be blood soaked, but you're going to be ruining people's lives and destroying their savings their livelihoods, uh, making them at, you know, addicted to gambling, you know, ruining families, uh, under, you know, destroy pension funds and institutional funds, uh, just so that you can shave half a percentage point off extinction risk, um, in their own parlance. Right. Um, and, and extinction risk, according to who? That's also the other thing, right? right? I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, their objectives and their agenda is usually uh, one that happens to dovetail with already pre-existing dystopian ideas about human nature and about the threats that we're facing f- that come from, you know, that corner of Silicon Valley that didn't read their favorite sci-fi books closely enough, right? Um, and 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 so I think that this is an important thing that gets left uh, left out. Like that's the intellectual scaffolding that I think uh, you know Sam Bankman Fried operates off. Right? You can we can talk about whether or not that means he's walking around, you know, thinking evil thoughts. But I think that does make him a very cynical person, right? Because he's concerned about this long term vision and has said that the short term stuff doesn't really matter. Um, and then the second part of the mystique, I think, also just comes from crypto. Like I think there is. You know, there were a few things that are going on. Sam Bankman Free got rich very quickly off of crypto and he was offering an exchange. It didn't seem like he was offering something we could easily mock, right? Like an asset or some sort of, um, you know, security, ugly picture, ridiculous NFT or synthesis or ridiculous asset put on top of things. But, he, you know, he still kind of was with the native token, right? Um, there was less of a critique. Of, uh, there was less of an interest in looking at crypto and if itself is like something that maybe that shouldn't exist. And more so just this guy's made an interesting place for crypto to be traded and he's gotten really rich off of it. And he says he wants to give away his fortune. Right. Those are and that sequence of of um, rationales offered by him are interesting. And we should look at that um, instead of asking, you know, well, what you know, what does like a cynical utilitarian, what are they going to do in a crypto ecosystem? Well, they're probably going to do some fraud so that they can achieve what they think is the is the greater good, right? Which is, if you think that the greater good by far is ensuring that trillions more humans exist in two thousand years, uh, you're you know probably going to do some fraud. <laughs> um, why are and, there why are there so many pictures of him asleep in a beanbag? Oh, he's a gamer. That's why. I mean, he he sleeps in the office. He says he does it so he doesn't have to reset because he stays in work mode. Mm. But also because he likes, I think he games from those chairs. From what I remember, he talked about how um, he likes to uh, game during phone calls, plays League of Legends. Um, is not that good at it, but, you know, plays it religiously. Well, all right. I looked, uh, I, I just looked into the League of Legends thing. Um, and it's basically unknowable how good he is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give him that. Okay. I would say he doesn't have the best. For someone who it comes up as much in his profiles, I would expect him to have a higher ranking and a higher win rate. Right. Right. Um, I think, so, 
I, I let me let me go off on a tangent here. Um, yeah. I think have you ever played League of Legends? Do you know anybody that plays yeah. League of Legends? Um, I'm sorry for anyone that plays League of Legends and listens to this podcast, but I lived with a guy for a very long time that played League of Legends. Um, and that game, I that game, poison. Straight poison into your body. <laughs> I like it. It made him a monster, and he, or he was already maybe a monster. It brought out his worst qualities. Yeah, um, and it would be stuff where like I have to I have to wake up at five a.m. for a shift somewhere I don't want to be the next day, and it's two a.m. and he's still up and is yelling at the video game loudly enough that uh, I. <laughs> Can't like even my, my doors are closed. I've got earplugs in. I can still hear him yelling at the game uh, yeah. and he's downstairs. Um, <laughs> so I just like anytime I know anyone's like a real big League of Legends head, I'm like, mm, something's off. Something's yeah. off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that should be a red flag. I think um, I think it should be a red flag where if you're you're very big head and you're playing it during calls where you make you're supposed to be convincing people right. to give you hundreds it, of millions of dollars. It's a game that requires like concentration in the moment. You can't you can't be watching a YouTube video or chilling out or doing anything else while you're in league. Yeah. Like right. like you you have to be paying attention. Yeah. And, and part of his part of this guy's origin story, Bankman Fried's origin story is he's on the phone with Sequoia Capital, right? And they're about to they're about to give him the however much it was, the is it 210 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and somebody else comes around and is like, this motherfucker's playing League of Legends while he's on the call. That's, and they thought that that was a good thing. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, it is. Um, it's it's like, you know, if it were any other game or if it were like a lot of other things, I'd be like, yeah, good. Get your bag, you know, grift the fuck out of Sequoia <laughs> Capital. Um, but that that should be taken as like one of the many red flags, right? You, This is someone that you are insistent has deeper insights into market structures, has deeper insights into how to use crypto, has deeper insights into morality, um, and so on and so forth. But time and time again, you see them acting cynically or uninterested in basic things that might altogether suggest they are using you uh, for their own ends um, and that they understand that the space is, you know, largely fraudulent or scam heavy, uh, that they understand they have to put up a front or facade to get the money and that they don't think, you know, they're bold and anyone uh, that anything really matters once they get the money, except, you know, enriching themselves and achieving whatever long term ethical uh, outcomes they want or think that are worth it, which, you know, is going to be enriching themselves and making sure humans can live in Nirvana and Jupiter or whatever. Why, Ju- why Jupiter? It's Mars. It's always Mars, right? I mean, I, well, you know, if, if we're going to do this, uh, if you want to dip into the sci-fi thing for a little bit, right? You know, Mars, of course, I think a lot, you know, a lot of people are going to live there, right? But if, if we're going to, if, if you terraform it, if we're living, if we're diving down the rabbit hole, right? Mars. Oh, you have thoughts on this. You've thought yeah, about yeah, this. Because yeah. I think um, the, the thing that these people want or talk about and what a lot of the far-flung post-humans and transhumans talk about is, you know, migrating consciousness into electronic into electronic environment so you to do that you got to convert something or have a large enough computational substrate to hold people's minds and you know 
in a lot of sci-fi that I've read and, and enjoy, they use what they usually end up doing is taking you're doing some engineering of Jupiter, right? Maybe uh, come using the gas cloud or using the moons as uh, material that they can reconstruct into a giant computer. That's basically. where you build the power plant, essentially, is Jupiter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that that's why it always comes up in my mind, which just also makes it even more ridiculous because it's like, you know, we've sent nothing there except like a, a probe that blew up. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, let's get back onto crypto or else we ended up talking about like, dude, it's going to get real bad. Um, so how, where, where does this, do we, where does this end for specifically him? Uh, and where do you see crypto in like the next six months? Yeah, I think those are good questions. I think crypto, um, in a few important ways, I think crypto seems fucked to me in the sense that, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried was probably one of the most trusted, if not the trusted, you know, face of crypto, right? This is a guy who didn't really have any notable scandals around him. Some question marks, that, but the question marks were constantly raised by the skeptics and critics, and so they might have been dismissed. And who was able to, even after describing, like, one of the core tenets of, like, the industry as a Ponzi scheme on a Bloomberg pod- podcast, was, it was still seen as a darling, right? This is someone who was good at speaking to regulators, uh, good enough at speaking to politicians that he was able to, you know, get in good graces of a few, um, probably, at, you know, at a point where he or was about to be at a point where he might have been able to catalyze like the sort of regulation that would have protected him if this happened after the fact. Right. Um, and that's all gone. Right. So now that that's gone, of course, you know, that might chill venture capital interest that might cheer uh chill consumer interest but i think also like you know what like joe weisenthal was talking about at bloomberg right who are the institutions going to deal with are they going to are they going to deal with binance i mean binance right now is being investigated for money laundering uh for criminal cartels across the world um and and for various governments i don't think uh you know crypto already has a reputational risk as as he talks about crypto already has um, some scandals and some fraud that keeps happening uh, that you have to bake into the calculations of risk and in investing in it. Um, and now the guy who was supposed to be, you know, the white knight who was supposed to be saving all these crypto uh, platforms and firms is revealed to have been a fraud himself or engaged in a serious amount of fraud that might see him in, you know, in jail um, or facing criminal prosecution, at least. Um Who's left? Like, who do you go to after that? Who has the money and the size and the clean enough reputation? I mean, like the only other ones, the only other large enough figures might be what? Coinbase and Brian Armstrong. But even then, there's, you know, contention there in, in, in the history. Um, Binance, again, and, C- and CG, no. Um um, you could go to the, some of the Bitcoin maxis. No, <laughs> you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna make Michael Saylor the face of uh, of crypto respectability. Um, you know, so it's a limited so a limited number of options. So I think, like you know, as you was talking about there, that might be one reason why institutions start to lose interest. And if institutions start to lose interest, I mean, institutions are trying to drive some of the more uh, esoteric and, and creative uh, justification of of Bitcoin, you know, by creating some of the exchanges or, you know, the financial instruments uh, and, and ways to speculate on it, right? Uh, trying to figure out ways to expose pension funds and endowments um, to, to crypto, right? 
with that gone, you're going to you're going to see that money pull back. Right. Um, and if that money pulls back, that's a huge amount of capital in an already illiquid ecosystem. Uh, not really sure what happens. Right. I feel like there will just be the, the only thing that I think is sure is that there would be a contagion and that you'll see a few more places collapse and crash. How far and wide that goes, no idea. But I do think that this is a, a pretty seismic thing, and there are going to be some sculpts or, or heads, that, you know, cut off for this because um, this is, you know, this is nearing ten billion dollars that disappeared from a place that was offering nearly a billion to other uh, platforms in terms of lifelines, and all of that is gone now. What do you think happens to Bankman Freed? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There are a lot of scenarios, you know, um, one is that nothing or a slap on the wrist and he just like, you know, uh, stays outside the U.S. maybe or comes back and, be, you know, gets a little VC um, investment and does some other company just like Adam Friedman um, or sorry, uh, not Adam Friedman, Adam Newman, um, you know, or, you know, burned tens of billions of dollars of investor capital made them all look like idiots and is now being bankrolled by a 16 Z to do um, a carbon coin and a way to we- turn your apartment complex into we work again. Oh, good. You know, so that's one option. Um, another is that financial regulators um, go hard after him and make an example out of him, um, you know, mount his skull on a, on a mantle. And I think that, Increasingly, is becoming a possibility just because of how bad the things we are finding out about what the fraud was looking like are, you know, um, I had thought the possibility is kind of remote. But after finding out about backdoors that he had installed in the company about look after looking at the balance sheet, you know, after uh, starting to also see that now other exchanges that were also for, you know, pointing towards traders and hedge funds are going insolvent. I feel like there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, are going to want pound for pound of flesh from him. Pound of flesh, I think, and, and skulls mounted on mantles, I think is a beautiful uh, place to end this conversation. Edward Ngueso Jr., thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. Of course, uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, that's all for this episode. We're going to t- be talking to Aaron Gordon, believe, tomorrow. And if you want to catch that live, you go to youtube.com forward slash motherboard or twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV and follow us there. You'll be notified when we go live. And of course, you can always catch it as a podcast later. Uh, but it's more fun with the audience interaction. Really some some good chat today uh, in there. Maybe some things I can't say out loud, but it was a good chat. And hey, you can go back and read it at twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV. And we'll see you all in the future. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.